This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharad. So this entire evening is going to be dedicated to trying to understand the results of GE15 from a number of facets. We're going to start off with numbers, uh, but as the evening progresses, we're going to discuss SDs, um, as you heard earlier, where the political parties' heads are at. Hopefully, we'll also get to catch up on what's going on with um, the Perak State Government and perhaps Pahang. Uh, but mostly, we are also asking you because... It's a doozy. It has really been a doozy. Um, how are you feeling post-GE15? And uh, regardless of who you voted for, you know the meetings and all are happening as we speak. What do you think is the best deal we can get at the moment? If you want to weigh in, call us double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, Sharad, Give us the seat distribution. I know that we've said this a lot by now, but I think it's a useful tool. Okay, so let's start from the top. Uh, Pakatan Harapan has 82 seats, but remember Padang Sarai, uh, Sarai is uh, still up for contention. It was a PH incumbent seat, so they could win that, would, which would bring their total up to 83. Uh, Parikatan National has 73, Barisan National has 30, GPS with 22 seats, but I believe the uh, Baram uh, count is on, and so so they and their incumbents there, so they could go up to 23. GRS has six six, uh, six seats, that's in Sabah. Warisan, three. Uh, KDM, again, a Sabah party, two seats. P, uh, PBM, one seat in Srawa, that's Larry Sung's seat. Uh, also one uh, Bebas, one independent so far. So because... As you can tell, nobody hit 112. Um, that has also meant that we have been in a state of suspended animation, a hung parliament. Um, and that's where the discussions are headed. It has been a, a day and a bit of a lot of updates and rumours. I think yesterday evening, GPS had put out a statement saying that they had agreed to join PN um, in a coalition government along with GRS and Barisan National, which would have given them a majority of 131 seats. Um, however, subsequently, Ahmad Zayed Hamidi has refuted that, saying that uh, at the time, there had not been any discussions of forming a coalition with PN, meaning um, Meanwhile, of course, you will know of today's uh, reported Lanka Sri Pacific of the uh, meeting that took place at the hotel in KL today between, well, first it was BN, not BN Supreme Council, first it was BN, right, um, having a meeting and then Pakatan Harapan leaders started popping by the hotel and before you know it, there's been a pretty famous photo, I think, circulating of everybody kind of sitting down, talking, hammering it out. Uh, Zayed Hamidi gave a press conference earlier today asking for an extension, which was uh, granted by the palace. So we'll, we're supposed to know by 2pm tomorrow. And uh, Anwar Ibrahim also gave a press conference saying that he's optimistic that discussions are going well. Right. So uh, I wouldn't use the expression Lanka anything because it's not the same as Lanka Sheraton. That happened midway in an administration. Mm -hmm. This is simply what democracy and democratic elections look like. And it looks like this in many countries. You know, many years ago, we started this conversation about how Malaysia's first possible system needs to be reformed. We want to get something more proportional in terms of, you know, so proportional representation as part of it. We would actually be like many countries that have those systems where it's much more fair. They, there's a lot of post-election negotiations. So this is perfectly reasonable and not extraordinary in that Lanka way. There's not 
nothing conspiratorial. There's nothing dirty about this uh, this you know process. It, it's just a joke because of the hotel, right? It's just yeah, the it hotel is. connection, yeah. I think, that but has made I, this. But if you actually look at social media, there's a lot of people who are trying to push this line. There's something mm. nefarious about this. But I don't think in terms of democratic uh, processes... There's anything extraordinary about this. The, of course, there are uh, wise voices, I think, coming into council that we need more time. We should give our representatives more time to make decisions. And that's why we're going to have that discussion about statutory declarations, uh, whether they're, they're actually not the best way to, uh, to, uh, to arrive at a conclusion when it comes to who can form the government. Yes, because... All of the all of the leaders of the various coalitions and parties have been trumpeting out about stability. That has been the number one word. Uh, the second one being the economy, but the first is stability, this idea of a stable government. And one would think that in order to form a stable government, you need more time, right? Um, because you need to be able to have discussions and troubleshoot and actually work out, maybe not work out differences, but be able to openly discuss differences that could be potential sources of trouble and instability. I think that's where the more time comes in. I don't know how much of a difference 24-hour makes, but that's what they've got. So yeah, that is where things stand at the moment. Uh, Let us know, though, we've been asking you, um, how are you feeling post-GE15? We're both, um, what are we, dizzy? (laughs) Shall we say dizzy? Uh, well, uh, Well, yeah, in part, but I think like everybody else, you know, coming to this process, we had our favourites. We, of course, want our favourites to win outright. But that's not the case. And nobody has won outright. And so a level of compromise. And remember, we discussed compromise. Is compromise a bad word? Is it, in fact, uh, a core value in, um, in a democratic system that you can't get everything you want? And so then, uh, as you know, uh, one of our listeners said, you know, we shouldn't settle for second best. But maybe second best is the pragmatic route to forming a stable government that will produce results for the general population. Maybe democracy isn't a dirty word, but it certainly is difficult and not pretty. And I think that that's what we're in the middle of at the moment. So yes, how are you feeling post-GE15? And regardless of who you voted for on the day, what do you think is the best deal we can get at the moment for a stable government? Call double seven double three two nine hundred. send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, there's no shortage of numbers and data that's been emerging um, after post-GE15. So we're going to be unpacking that after this with Thevish Deva, data scientist and economist. So keep it here on the evening edition, BFM 89.9. Bole for Malaysia. Ha. BFM 89.9, the business station. It is 5.16. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod. Today, we are continuing to unpack the results of GE15. The hung parliament is still... Pretty much hung. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. I was, still the state of affairs is what it is. Um, negotiations are underway, um, lots of meetings. and It's still in play. I think that's the professional exp- um, ex- expression. What, what, what did I say? Um, still the current state of play. play yeah, yeah, same yeah. thing. So yeah. basically, hung parliament, still at play. This is where we're at. Um, and we're trying to see, I guess we're watching this scrabble upwards towards that number of 112 seats. Now, We thought we would take a step back, though, and look at the numbers and data that have emerged from GE15 to try to, you know, look at a number of different narrative threads that have emerged. 
Doing that with us um, is Devesh Deva, data scientist and economist. Uh, in the meantime, keep those thoughts coming. How are you feeling post-GE15, uh, regardless of who you voted for? What is the best deal you think we can get at the moment? Um, that number to call again, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Devesh, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, good evening. Hope your election day was good. It was, you know, it went. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was busy. It was busy. And then the post-election, the first post-election day, uh, you know, was full of um, trepidation because we didn't know what was going to happen. And today, of course, continues the drama. So, yeah, very good so far. Yeah, it's, it's impossible to work with, with all this drama going on. I mean, we, we can pretend that we are working, but we all know that none of us are. Very I think that's, today. that's the most honest answer. So, you know, you've been tweeting a, a fair amount of breakdowns and tables looking at the, the numbers and where they're distributed. There's a lot of data to unpack in relation to the elections. So um, let's start by talking about what you gathered on voter turnout in general. What were the numbers like? How do they, how do they compare to 2018? All right. Um, you know, honestly, I have to say I was so impressed because we know that the number of voters massively jumped this election, right? From around 14 million to 21 plus million. So I was expecting that we would see much lower voter turnout in terms of percentage. So of course we knew that the absolute number of voters would increase, but I didn't think that the percentage would come close to what we saw in G14. But man, was I wrong? (laughs) I mean, we had 73% voter turnout overall, which if you think about it, is actually higher than the benchmark in many mature democracies. Even if you compare it to the previous GE14, I would say that this was really a show of democratic participation from the electorate. Yes, we we didn't reach the number of 83% that we saw in GE14, but the important thing to remember is that that 83% is for people who had actively chosen to register back then. Now it's an automatic registration. So this 73% is just straight up. If you were interested on the day, you could go and vote. And I think the turnout of 15.5 million people voting, I mean, that's a win for our democratic process. Devish, can you tell us if um, the data uh, shows the distribution of that turnout? Was it equal across the federation or not? So this is where it gets a bit uh, tricky. In general, we can do some distributional analysis by state, and it's the usual suspects. We actually saw fairly high voter participation in um, some of the more let's say, politically heated areas, in the, especially the urban ones. And again, due to a multitude of factors, uh, especially bearing in mind the floods, which actually caused one of the areas to have to postpone their proceedings, we had slightly lower turnout in the rural areas. But beyond that, there's not much we can say about distribution for now. For instance, uh, did the young turn up, did the elderly turn up, or you know, was it uh, distributed by gender? Those things will have to wait a bit longer to do some more detailed analysis. It depends on whether SPR chooses to release the data. Another thing um, that came up on your Twitter was the issue of the popular vote. And this is something that gets discussed quite a lot, I think, post every election. Uh, what can you tell us about how things shook out this time around? I think this, this round was really, really interesting for a couple of reasons, which is that you know normally we have this whole discussion about gerrymandering, where people talk about how One party might have a lot of the popular vote, but it isn't reflected in their seat share. This time, that wasn't really the case because of the three-cornered fights. So if you look at the numbers on voter turnout, sorry, voter percentage, uh, let me just pull it up in a second. So PH, the party with the most seats, 
they had 36.8% of the parliamentary seats and 37.5% of the popular vote. So actually, you can see those two numbers are pretty close together, um, you know, whereas usually you might expect to see something that's a bit more distant because, of course, uh, PH historically has won in the more urban seats with many voters. Uh, for comparison, uh, Perikata National, they won 30.1% of the popular vote and Barisan National won 22.3% of the popular vote. So this time around, it was a lot more even. The vote shares were much more in line with the percentage of seats that the parties won. So at this particular election, I don't think uh, gerrymandering was so much of, um, of an evident impact on the result. The only places where it's really evident, I think, are Sabah and Sarawak. So for instance, uh, GPS, you have 4.2% of the popular vote, but they won 10% of parliamentary seats. Uh, 22 seats, but only 4.2% of the vote. So I think that's just because of uh, the fact that their population is so sparse. But of course, uh, with the new government, they will have to do the redelineation exercise. And uh, that's a discussion for another day. So what's also interesting about these multi-cornered fights is that you might have somebody winning that constituency, but if you add up the votes against them, or not for them rather, then they, that those votes could be larger than the, the plura- plurality of the votes. Sorry, I mangled that one. Uh, but the, So the idea is that the biggest winner isn't necessarily the most popular uh, in that constituency. How do you think that changes the game and is as uh, as political parties think about the future? Well, I think uh, the first thing to to unpack with that statement is that if you can make the argument for the winner, you can also make the argument for everyone else, right? So, for instance, uh, people say, oh, you know, but 65% of people didn't vote for PH because they, and this shows that 65% of people don't want PH. Well, I could say the same thing for PN, I could say that 70% of people don't want PN. And I could say the same thing for BN. I could say that 78% of people uh, didn't vote for BN. So the question to my mind is not really what percentage of people didn't vote for you, but rather it's a different question that isn't answered at the general election, which is what preferences do people have, assuming that the choice they voted for is taken out? So if you if you can if you want to think about this for a second. Imagine that instead of voting just for one person, people were actually ranking their preferences, like one, two, three, four, five. Then we might be able to get somewhat of a deeper idea of what what kind of choices people are okay with. But in this case, we we don't really know who people approve of because we only know their top preference. So in that sense, uh, when it comes to the current uh, kerfuffle over forming a coalition, the really interesting thing to me is that actually the voting numbers don't tell us anything about what coalitions people are or aren't okay with because we actually don't know who their second choice is. We don't know what kind of combinations they approve of. So there's actually a lot that our our polls don't tell us because our polls just give you one choice. One of the... I think major stories that have emerged from that night is this idea of the the green wave um, catching some people by surprise, perhaps others not by so much. Um, if we look at the if we look at the seats um, in which people actually voted for, well, pass or Pekata National, I suppose is is the coalition that they would have struck the mm-hmm. the bunker for. Uh, what do we know? So I think first before before we talk about how people voted per se. There's something very interesting to note about the results, which is that 
sorry, about the way that uh, parties actually put their candidates out, which is if you look at the official results, there's only just over 40 seats for Parikata National Se, because PAS actually competed under their own banner in many, many seats that, that they competed in, especially in uh, Glantan, Trungano, and uh, Kedah, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I could be wrong on, on the last one. Whereas uh, for Pakatan Harapan, there were a few people who competed under the DAP banner in Sarawak, but for the rest of Peninsula Malaysia, everyone under the Pakatan coalition competed under the Pakatan Harapan name. And I think this alone suggests to me that maybe, although it came as a surprise to us, the political parties certainly had a sense of what actually people were voting for when they voted for Perikavan National, which is maybe why they made the strategic choice to compete under the banner of PAS rather than under the banner of Perikatan National. And um, you know, one of the facts that I always like uh, telling people is that in Kedah and sorry, in Kelantan and Trungano, I, I don't know if uh, I've mentioned this uh, in previous conversations we've had, but the the number of voters in Kelantan and Trungano is actually double the number of residents. Uh, just pause and let that sink in for a second. It means that there are double the number of people during voting season in that state compared to the number of people who live there. And people just come back and vote because they really possibly believe in the ideology of the party that runs there. So they don't change their voting center, even though they've maybe lived out of those states for a very long time. So I think um, certainly um, it, it did come as a bit of a surprise to me. And like you pointed out, many others. But I think the party certainly might have anticipated uh, this outcome. Uh, so actually, I just pulled up the SPR dashboard. It was uh, 51 seats for Perikatan National, but 22 seats were won, competing under the banner of PASS. So that's uh, pretty interesting to me. Yeah, sometimes, you know, I guess the media's to blame for this is over-interpreting numbers. Uh, you know, the green wave expression is now being bandied about with the assumption that people voted for religious conservatism rather out of rather than out of maybe a, a, a varied number of uh, reasons, including many mm-hmm. local reasons. Uh, yes. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about. Can what can we draw in terms of say a discussion of uh, political values? Is uh, has this uh, election demonstrated through the numbers demonstrated some shift in values, or is it just a kind of div- you know a, a really a party political thing where people have chosen to go with their favorite team? Honestly, I I wouldn't be able to give you an objective answer to that question. And, but I do think that this idea of localism was, it played out in many areas, right? So you saw many people asking the question of, is this about voting a party or is this about voting a candidate? I think one of the most prominent ones was in Sungai Bulo, where people were saying that uh, KJ is a good candidate, but which party do we want uh, to vote for? So that kind of rhetoric uh, all over the place. But, you know, I, I think ultimately the results that we got they show that our democracy is maturing. Like, I think yeah, you mentioned this earlier, Sharad. The Hang Parliament is, you know, it's not an uncommon circumstance in many mature democracies and people have all sorts of reasons for voting how they voted. And the fact that Malaysia is experiencing this now, I, I don't think it's a bad sign. It's It shows a maturing of our democracy, the fact that now a party that was once Malaysia's grand old party can no longer count on a runaway win in the elections. It's part of our growth. And it's part of the growth of our interest and participation in politics as well.
Pevish, 30 seconds left with you. Uh, can you talk to us about the importance of open data when it comes to understanding things like the general election? It's everything. Without data being open, if, if it's sold or kept private, we'll never be able to diagnose the reasons, deeper reasons behind what we've seen play out in front of our eyes. And I think, um, you know, props to the SPR for opening everything they've opened so far. I hope there's more and I hope that's deeper because people like me are just waiting to share the results of exploring those deeper secrets behind what we see in public. Devish, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. That was Devish Deva, data scientist and economist, uh, taking us behind the numbers, especially in terms of voter turnout and the like and what it can suggest uh, out of GE15. In the meantime, this whole evening, it's going to be all about the elections. And we're asking you, how are you feeling about the results? Uh, regardless of who you voted for, what do you think is the best deal we can get at the moment? You can call, send us a voice note or WhatsApp, and of course, tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.